First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 664 of First Class Fatherhood, a family-made media podcast. And I got a fun episode to hit you guys with to send you into the Thanksgiving break. Ian Eagle, the legendary sportscaster, joins me on the podcast today. I know on Thanksgiving Day, a lot of you dads will be watching the football games, which is a big part of the Thanksgiving Day tradition. And you, it's very difficult to watch NFL football games if you have got a bad announcer. A bad announcer can really kill a game. And Ian Eagle is one that you always hope that you'll get when you're listening to a football game because he has been doing it so well for so long. I remember listening to Ian Eagle call play-by-play games back when I was in high school. He was the play-by-play guy for the Jets on WFAN. And back then I was working at a gas station. And obviously, I mean, I was back then doing a lot of gambling on football. And you couldn't get all the scores as easily as you could today. We had just pull your phone out and you could just figure out all the scores instantaneously. Uh, back then it wasn't so simple to do. But always in the tri-state area, you get whatever the game is. That's the local team. So you'd, I would always just listen you know, to the Jet game and then get the 10-minute ticker or whenever they would break to give you an update on scores around the league. But Iron Eagle has always been one of the best there ever is in the game. Uh, it's no question that in 2024, he will be taking over for Jim Nance for the NCAA tournament. You've heard Ian Eagle throughout the years on the Yes Network, MSG, uh, Fox Sports, TNT, and currently he is on the NFL on CBS, and it really does make a difference who calls the games. I remember way back when I would watch football games on TV with my father, he couldn't stand Joe Namath's voice. So whenever Joe Namath was calling a game, I think it was on NBC back then, uh, whenever we had Joe Namath calling the game, my father would mute the TV and turn up the radio so we could listen to the radio call and watch the game. I don't even think you could do that today because I don't think it would line up. I think that there's a delay when you watch it on satellite versus getting it on the radio. But anyway, that's what my father would do back then. He would mute the TV, put the radio up because he just couldn't stand certain announcers. I remember Joe Namath being one of them. But I'm honored to have Ian Eagle on the podcast today. His son, Noah, Noah Eagle, is following in his footsteps. He is a play-by-play guy himself. Ian Eagle is a Jersey guy here. So this one's going to be a lot of fun. Sit back and relax. Ian Eagle is going to be here with me in just a few minutes. So please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Ian Eagle was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch today's conversation between the legendary sports broadcaster and myself, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and I really pray that you guys enjoy the time with your families over the Thanksgiving break. You've heard me mention it a few times in the podcast here. One of the silver linings that we all had during the pandemic times was that we had a chance to reconnect and be home and be more present with our families. So hopefully here, Thanksgiving gives us another chance to do that. I know we've all kind of gotten back into the rat race since the end of the COVID pandemic, uh, but I hope you guys that are out there get a chance to sit down, enjoy your families. It's why you work so hard. Enjoy the traditions that you have. Enjoy the long weekend. And I'll tell you, I think we really are uh, so spoiled. I know I am and my family is. We're just so spoiled, I think, maybe in this country with so much that we take for granted here. And and in this being Thanksgiving, there is a lot to be thankful for. I know just the other day here, my family and I, we lost power in our house. There would something happen with a transformer, whatever it may be. We lost power for like five or six hours. Then it came back on, went out again for another five or six hours. And we were, it seemed like 
especially for my teenage kids, it seemed like the world ended here. Like, you know, we couldn't get our, couldn't get the Wi-Fi going, and it was like such an inconvenience. And it was a stark reminder of just how blessed we are and how fortunate we are to have so many of the things that we do in our life uh, that we could so easily not have in our lives to be completely different. And it did force us to get innovative there, too, because I had just done all the food shopping for Thanksgiving. We had all our food. We didn't want it to go bad in the fridge. We, we packed it in a suitcase, you know, and put it outside because it was freezing cold. It was like... 19 degrees outside so that everything wouldn't spoil and, and so it worked out but again a lot to be thankful for hope you enjoy the holiday with your family make sure you follow me on instagram at alec underscore lace for all the upcoming guest announcements i know black friday is coming up on friday black friday savings exist now until christmas on mypillow.com use the promo code fatherhood save up to 66 percent off and have a happy healthy Thanksgiving. I'll see you guys after the break. Got some great episodes to hit you with. And if you have an opportunity, please help me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list and let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it. Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview straight up with Iron Eagle on First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, Ian Eagle. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Maybe that's the best intro I've ever had in all my years of doing interviews. I really appreciate it, Alec. Thank you. Well, you got it. That's what you are here on this show. So let's start right there. How many kids do you have and how old are they? Uh, two kids, son Noah, who is 25, daughter Erin, who is 23. Those numbers are still mind-numbing to wrap your brain around, but those are the real numbers, yes. Well, you got one and one. That's uh, th- that's the dream of so many. So it took us. So we, we have three boys, then uh, got our girl on the fourth try. So you were one, nice. one and done. One, one and done. Uh, we didn't really have a number in mind. I think after Aaron was born, the, the basic mentality was, all right, there's nothing else to prove here. We've done both. So let's cut our losses. And uh, we were obviously thrilled. And all these years later, we are still very thrilled with our two kids. Yeah, right on with that. If you could, I'm please just take a second here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Background, uh, sports broadcaster, graduated Syracuse in 1990, always had a dream of doing this probably from the age of eight on, came from an entertainment background. My dad was a stand-up comedian, actor, musician. My mother was a singer and an actress, so didn't have the normal upbringing, didn't have the Uh, You got to do certain things with your life mentality. It was a blank canvas. My parents were very supportive when I told them what I wanted to do at a young age. They said, well, then that's what you'll do. And that is very empowering. When you hear that when you're eight, you believe it. Your parents give you that infusion of confidence that even though you know very little about what it is you're projecting for yourself, they believed in me. So that was half the battle. I got into it when I got to Syracuse and uh, just did all the things that are necessary in order to polish your craft and improve and evolve. Got to uh, my first job at WFAN Radio in New York. I had been an intern there, started there as a producer, took about a year and change to work my way getting on the air. And from there, a bunch of different opportunities talk shows, play-by-play, the then New Jersey Nets. At a young age, I got that job on the radio, got moved to TV the next year. Uh, That was 1994 to 1995. New York Jets on radio, 
TV starting the next year with CBS Sports, NFL, and NCAA tournament. Been doing that now 25 years and a whole bunch of other stuff in between. Yeah, you, you've had a legendary career, Ian. I've enjoyed listening to you over the Thank years you. myself. And I think it's important what you say there, too, about the parents giving you the support. I think at some point, we usually, when our kids are younger, we're, we fill them with those dreams. If you could be anything you want to be, you could do whatever you want to do. And then at some point, we're like, hey, just get a job. I don't care what you do. You know, we <laughs> kind of like throw all that out the window and just, you know, people end up getting into these jobs that they hate and they don't want to do. And then they get stuck there for life. So to be able to live out your dream. Uh, that's incredible. So, well, take, take me back then, if you could, 25 years ago, how old were you when you became a dad? How did that experience change your perspective and where did it fit your career wise? Yeah. So Noah was born in 1996. At that point, I was just starting my second year on Nets television. So had a couple years under my belt as a professional play-by-play announcer had worked at WFA and radio for a long stretch. So I was entrenched in the TV and radio business. My wife had been married and and I were married three years at that point. I moved from the Upper East Side in New York City, one bedroom apartment, recognizing we were going to run out of room at some point. Got a townhouse in West Orange, New Jersey, and uh, the the plan was to have kids. We were very fortunate to uh, make it happen pretty quickly, and it was right smack during the NBA season, NFL, I was doing pre and post game for the New York Jets. So I had a lot going on professionally. And the concern was that I would not be in town. I think that was always a deep fear. My wife, Elisa, who is amazing. And we started dating in college, broke up, got back together, broke up, got back together. So she knew what she was getting into. She didn't think she was marrying a dentist. She knew that this is what I wanted to do. And uh, she was completely aware of all the circumstances involved in it. And I think that's why we did break up a couple of times. Just the idea that this would be a reality. A lot of time on the road, a lot of time where she has to do things on her own and the independence that she had to be able to handle that. That's a whole other part of the conversation we could have in regards to responsibility and, and how things change. So fortunately, I was home. Uh, the Nets were playing that night, the night that uh, Noah was born. I had a game. It was the Nets and the Seattle Supersonics. The Nets pulled off an upset win that night. Uh, Noah was born early that morning, and it was life-changing in, in so many ways. It, it brought a lot of things into perspective it, for our relationship, uh, for my wife and I. It uh, definitely brought things to another level of caring for somebody else and become even more selfless. I'd like to think we were pretty selfless at that point, but you don't even know what that entails until you're caring for another human being. And the evolution of that, Alec, was initially when Noah was born, I was on the road a great deal. And I think there was some sense, at least from my perspective, I don't want to say this and and speak for my wife, but from my perspective, you know, I would downplay what was happening on the road. If we went out for a great dinner, I didn't necessarily build it up because I didn't want her to have misgivings or to feel emptiness because of that. That first year, maybe I didn't necessarily play it down, but by year two and year three. 
So I, I didn't want her to feel like she was missing out. And what ended up happening was once Noah was born, I was missing out. I was on the road and great stuff was happening at home. And I was in a hotel room in Sacramento or Indianapolis or Dallas or Milwaukee, go on and on and on and on. And this is before FaceTime. Before all of it. You know, so it's 1996 into 97. And even cell phones were not exactly the rage. You would get like a 30 minute plan back then that Verizon offered. And if you went over 30 minutes, yeah, if you went (laughs) over the 30 minutes, you're paying like five bucks a minute. So you would make every call like 50 seconds. I think they gave you a free minute and you could put like a little alarm into your phone. When it hit the 50 second mark, it would ding. It's all right. I got to go talk to you later. And that was it. So you didn't have to pay for the minute. Anyway, I, I was I was on the wrong end of it because so much great stuff was happening back here in New Jersey and I was out and about. So the tables definitely turned and that was an adjustment, big adjustment for me. Uh, clearly, you you just try to make time and and when you are home, you've got to make sure you're present and you're there and you're living in the moment. Yeah, well said. And, and I am one of the things that was recurring over and over over the past two years when the pandemic hit was how many dads were now all of a sudden home more than they'd ever <laughs> been. And they realized what they were missing out on. I know your yep. kids were older at the time that came along, but the sports world did kind of shut down completely. We had nothing for a long time, except maybe for some UFC. Uh, what was that period like for you? Were you home more? I mean, what what, what was the um, the future looking like for you guys? I mean, I'm sure it had a rock to the sports broadcasting world when that was going on. Yeah, so I slept in my bed for the most consecutive days that I had in 29 years. You know, just think about from when I started traveling for this job and when 2020 hits, you're talking about a long time for me to be home and uh, nowhere to be, no responsibility. There was some stuff to do on Zoom and it started to pick up. Uh, I did the NBA bubble for TNT. So I was down in Orlando for 21 days and then came back and that then led into the NBA playoffs and the NFL season. So I did get back to, I wouldn't call it normalcy, but quasi normalcy for me. But there was a long stretch where I was just home and my wife was home and my daughter was home. And eventually our son who lives in LA came home. And the four of us were together and it was tremendous. It was it was great. You hate to say that during uh, one of the most difficult times in the world's history, the pandemic. But for the family, it was awesome. And to have the four of us together, completely unexpected. And uh, we made the most of it. But you know what I absolutely recognized in my own life was for my kids and for their upbringing, it was really important for them to see that I did enjoy my job. And I would come home from the road and I would be fully engaged in what was happening here. But they saw that my job was important and that I did get joy out of my job. So you could flip it. I know a lot of families where the dad might be working normal hours, nine to five, nine to six, and they're home every night for dinner, but they get to the dinner table and nobody speaks. And the conversation turns to complaining 
and moaning and bitching about their day and their week and their month and their year and their decade. And that was never the case. There was a lot of positivity. And I think both of my kids recognized pretty early that, oh, dad likes what he does. And that's really important in life. Yeah, and definitely, uh, you know, as you were saying that too, the, the silver lining of that, uh, to quote an uh, ancient novelist there, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, as so yep. many families were struggling, some really ignited, uh, you know, and Big really time. reconnected. And you mentioned there too, obviously, you have one of the coolest dad jobs, I think, that exists. And I know that <laughs> your your son Noah has followed you yep. now in, in your footsteps. He's doing the broadcasting now. Yep. Was it something that he got a chance to, or both of your kids got a chance to experience when they were younger, growing up? Did you take them to certain games? Did they have certain teams that they said, hey, dad, I'd love to come with you to check this game out? Or how did that kind of work? And how did Noah kind of first, when did you know he was really interested in doing it? Yeah, so Noah was a sports fan from day one. He was into it. He just took to it immediately. As far back as I can remember when a kid would be uh, interested or a spark would be there, he was into it. You know, by by a year and change, he was wearing jerseys and interested in the action. My daughter, Erin, no interest, was not the least bit moved by any of this. I think, you know, recognized that uh, I had a cool job, but it really wasn't within her purview. And that was good, too. That that worked just fine. Now, they both would come to games and both would come to events. Noah got a little more down and dirty where he would sit next to me or be off to the side when we were doing on camera or on air work. Aaron, more on the periphery, curious, but certainly not immersed in it like Noah was. Noah, I mean, this is a true story from way back when. He was so into sports that he would take on the persona of different players or athletes that he was a fan of, and you had to call him by that name. And it's cute when your kid wants to be called Keyshawn all the time, which he did. And that was fine. We were in the house and we'd say, hey, Keyshawn, let's go. Then we'd go to the grocery store and Noah would start walking down another aisle and we'd have to call him over like, Noah, let's go. We got to come back over here. And he would not respond. And literally, either me or my wife would have to say, Keyshawn, come on back. You know, to have three people turn around, like, your kid's name Keyshawn? Really? <laughs> so he was he was always you're, very you're, much you're lucky he didn't like Tissue Manga Bianca Batuka. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Huge Chris Muafatuma Afala fan. You're right. 100% Alec. Uh, I would say by 13, 14, I noticed that he took a real interest in what I did and how I did it and the process of it. He would just pop into my office while I was doing my prep work, boards, biographical information, studying, and grab a media guide and just start leafing through it or look at my boards, NBA, NFL, with all of the names and numbers and height, weight, age, how many years in the league, what college did they go to, when they were drafted, all of that began to become a factor in his life. So it was at that point that I realized he he may have an interest in this. And then eventually he ended up going to Syracuse with the idea of pursuing this. And look, let's face it, you don't know. My wife would ask me, do you think he'll be any good? I said, yeah, I, I, think, I think he's got a shot. He's got the right 
brain for it. He's been exposed to it. He has a confidence about him. He certainly is comfortable in front of a microphone, in front of people. That was always the case. He was always the host through his middle school days and high school days. Anytime they needed somebody to step out in front, he was first hand up and was doing it and doing it really well. So I, I thought, look, he's got a shot. And by the way, if it's not something that he loves, no problem. You you veer off in a different direction. He ended up being really talented and had an aptitude for it and a real passion for trying to learn and improve and uh, work hard on his skills. So that part of it, fortunately, has, has worked out and it's been obviously amazing and uh, so much pride to, to see him, A, just choose this, the the ultimate compliment that your your son wants to do what you do, but to actually flourish in it, it's it's been amazing. Yeah, and so cool when when you see it click and it's something that they're really passionate yeah. about. I mean, we grew up going to Meadowlands Racetrack, Belmont, and uh, Aqueduct, and we could read the racing form before we could read <laughs> books, and it didn't really lead us a good path down the way. But we were passionate about it at the time, you know. So right and. And, and I, I usually do ask like the uh, the pro athletes that I get on here that have kids that want to follow in their footsteps or, or any kid that's following in, in what they're following. Sure. We, we look up to our dads. We want to emulate them. We, we they're, they're our superheroes. So did you make sure that he didn't have to feel any kind of like pressure? Like, hey, you got to you, you got to live up to what I'm doing here. I mean, you're oh, doing yeah. it at such a, a massive level. Did you make sure that uh, how did you kind of handle that relationship to make sure he didn't feel pressure to kind of live up to where you were? Yeah, Alec, we had very open and transparent conversations about it. I explained uh, how the business works. And while the name may get your foot in the door, you're going to have to get by on your own talent and your own merit. Um, television and radio, it it's pretty simple. People make a, a very quick opinion and they form one right away. They know whether or not, within 10 seconds sometimes, whether or not someone belongs there or makes them feel comfortable. And I explained, it's not up to me. It's not up to your mom. It's up to the audience. The audience determines whether or not you get to keep going. Of course, someone has to believe in you along the way. Uh, for the first two years at Syracuse, Alec, Noah would introduce himself. And this was of his own doing. I, I certainly didn't tell him to do this. He would introduce himself as Noah. That's it. He did not mention his last name. He did not talk about it. No Keyshawn. Yep. I think he just felt it was really important to do it on his own merit. And it wasn't until his junior year, he had a few people actually come up to him and say, wait, your dad's Ian Eagle? He's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, I had no idea. And awesome. by junior year, he was finally confident, I think, that he had made his own mark and people up at Syracuse were impressed with what he was doing, uh, completely separate from who his dad was and what his background is. And then he finally started to say the full name. Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Noah Eagle. And that was a big step. So beyond that, yes, he knows I'm always here for him. I think the best part of this whole dynamic, Alec, is that we can now have conversations on a level that I can only have those conversations with a finite number of people. The understanding of the minutia of this industry and from big stuff to little stuff, city to city, where to go, what to do, 
broadcast locations in certain arenas, the booth in certain stadiums, the press food at certain <laughs> venues, like things that are next level conversations, all based on the fact that he's doing a job that I do. And um, we just have the relatability at, at a level 10 now because of our shared experiences. Yeah, it's so cool. What, what an awesome father-son experience to have. And I know you, just uh, what you said there, I had a uh, mad dog, Chris Russo, on here a while yeah. back, and he said the same thing. They know whether you either have it or you don't in that business, and they know pretty quickly. So, Dan, now did you, have you guys ever broadcast together yet? And if you guys were to do a broadcast together, who would do play-by-play and who would do color? <laughs> yeah, that might be a bit of an issue. He actually got to a higher level of basketball than I did. So he did play in high school. So maybe he would be more qualified to be the analyst as opposed to me. But the limits of what we've done have been either guest spots together, joining somebody on a radio show, a podcast, a Zoom, or when he was back in college at Syracuse, I ended up doing a Syracuse game on CBS against Miami. I was working with the great Bill Raftery and Noah was doing the game for the college radio station down in Miami uh, WAER, Syracuse Station, the one that Bob Costas worked at and Marv Albert and Dick Stockton and Mike Tirico and Len Berman and on and on and on and on and on. And I worked at and Noah worked out as well. And that was really cool just to be working the same game. We ended up doing a, a little back and forth prior to the game that that went viral a bit with no idea that it would. It was a cute little three minute interview and CBS put it up on their website and the thing just blew up. My phone started blowing up after the game and Noah handled himself incredibly well. It was one take and it just showed the the real uh, deep connection that we have and the similarities. I think really more than anything else, it wasn't that it was this scintillating interview. It was fun, but it just showed that we look alike, have very similar mannerisms and I think people were a bit concerned about potential cloning you know, to the point where the government did come to my house once, just once, just to <laughs> check. I say, you can look in the basement. We got nothing going on. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was cool. It was a yeah, really great nice stuff. Ian. And, 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 you know, just because I know you're, you're ahead of where I am in your fatherhood journey. And one of the things I'm obviously concerned about is as my kids now become old enough to start dating is this experience I haven't gone through yeah. yet. You've kind of been there. Uh, so Number one, how did you kind of handle discipline with the kids growing up with your son and your daughter? And how did you kind of handle it when they, they hit that age to start hitting that dating scene? Yeah, so discipline was not hard. Both were very good kids. Uh, both were rules followers by nature. Neither were troublemakers. Look, like anything, you go through ups and downs. And I don't think I had to raise my voice very often with either one of them. Maybe just to make a point. And to make sure they knew I was serious. But all in all, uh, my wife, Elise, and I have been incredibly fortunate. They, they both got it. They uh, just understood humility and understood putting positive into the world and not carrying negativity with you and, and not creating drama. I, I would say more than anything else, that's probably among the larger messages that that we would send our kids. There's enough drama in the world. You don't have to contribute to it. Do your thing. Be a good person. Treat people well. Obviously, don't get pushed around. If you're wronged, you have to try to right the wrong. But 
don't initiate that and um, odds are it, it's going to work out in your favor. The dating thing, yeah, that's hard. It's hard for any parent because you're not in control of that. They like who they like. And I think my wife and I, in all cases, I can say this confidently, uh, we would keep our opinions to ourselves unless asked specifically and allow things to play out the way that you're going to play out and then share <laughs> where we stood on certain topics, um, but certainly never get in the way of what was happening naturally. If we would see something that was untoward or going in the wrong direction, maybe uh, a little breadcrumb here, breadcrumb there, so they could find their path, but uh, not not overtly in their business where uh, we were crossing barriers that we shouldn't cross. It's hard though, Alec, I'm, I'm going to tell you that right now, because oftentimes it's your stuff that comes out and you don't want all your stuff to be your kid's stuff. So you've really got to be smart and conscious and pick and choose those moments. For every action, there's a reaction in this world. And what you think is just a very innocent statement can actually take on a much larger role in your kid's brain if it's said in the wrong moment, at the wrong place, and to the wrong person. So you, you just have to be aware that, um, look, they, they do look to you for advice and they do look to you for guidance, but you've got to be selective in, in when you provide it. It can't be on every topic and everything that's happening in their life all the time, because it's like the little boy who cried wolf at some point. If you're giving your opinion on everything, then the things that are really impactful sometimes slip through the cracks. Yeah, very well said. Yeah, my oldest, he's, he's going to be getting his driver's license in a few months. So we're just kind of trying to gear up for that alone, let alone all this stuff. So we're learning on the fly like everybody else here. But I, I love all the input and the information I can get ahead of time here. Yeah. And the other thing I would say, even Alec, in, in regards to that, you have to know which parent's personality works with each kid. So for Noah, it was better that my wife drove with him as he was starting to learn and prepare. And then for Aaron, it was better that I drove with her than my wife. They're incredibly close and have a terrific bond and relationship. But in that setting, it didn't really work. So for whatever reason, my presence worked better for Aaron trying to learn how to drive compared to my presence with Noah. He might have gotten a little nervous with me, with my wife. He was a little more at ease. She could guide him and give him tips more, and he would be accepting of them. So even that, you've got to be strategic in, in how you handle that and try to look big picture with, okay, what's going to be best for the kid in this instance? Well, right now, what might be best for my oldest is a, is a big Uber account on his 17th birthday <laughs> instead of a car. But we'll see. Hopefully, we'll get him there. Uh, last thing I want to hit you with here, Ian, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast. I know you've touched out on it throughout the podcast here. But last thing I want to hit you with, uh, what kind of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? It's going to change your life. And I know people say that, but you don't really – realize it until you're in it. You just don't know that 
emotion yet. You think all the love you have is already geared towards your significant other or your parents or your aunts and uncles and cousins and extended family. And you don't know at that point that there is even more love to give. So I think more than anything else, just prepare yourself, uh, realize that what you say, how you say it, how you act, it all makes an impression. Kids take in everything. You think you're having a conversation in the front seat of the car and your kids are in the back seat and they have AirPods in or they're watching something or glued in on their phone. They're hearing it. They hear what you have to say and they remember it. It sticks with them for a long time. So, you know, even I, I curse a lot off the air, probably more than I should. My wife and I made a pact very early on when the kids were young. Hey, we're not going to curse around them. And we didn't. And we got to, you know, 11, 12 years old in that range, maybe a little younger. Maybe Noah was nine, 10. Aaron was seven, eight. And I had to sit them down and teach them the curse words because they were hearing them at school. And my wife had to leave the room because she lost it. She was laughing so hard. I'm going through each word individual and they're repeating them back to me. And, you know, to hear my daughter say, I, can I curse or no? I, I, I don't want I don't want to curse if I shouldn't, Alec. But no, go ahead. Yeah. 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 Okay. So to hear my daughter repeat, I said, OK, one one of the words is fuck. And she's like, fuck. Yeah. And now go through it, explain how she might hear it over the course of the day. And that was just based on my wife and I saying, hey, look, we don't want them to have that ingrained in their brain at a young age. And now I find that my son probably curses a lot and my daughter does not. So for one of them, it stuck. And for the other, it didn't. What did it accomplish? I'm not sure, except I just know my wife and I, we were on the same page. And I think that's a huge key as well. You're a team. And if the dynamic is set up that the kid knows that they can go to one to get this and the other to get that, eventually that operation falls apart because now there's going to be some some infighting. So it's really important to share a philosophy and to do it together and uh, recognize that whatever's in the best interest for the kid is really the priority. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. It's been an honor for me. I got to say, Ian Eagle, you're a first class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. Alec, thanks, man. Great to talk with you. We'll do it again. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. First Class Fatherhood is a family made media podcast please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com or www.familymade.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.